It's that time. Everything and anything basketball. Presented by The Outrage. With Cajun Fierutani Castleman and host Spencer Byers. This is Polar Opposites. Welcome, everyone, to Polar Opposite. Spencer Byers, Cajun, Thiru, Thinny, Castellum, back for some more Monday regularly scheduled programming here on the Outrage, Inc. And, Cage, we're going to kick it off real quick with a story that grinds my gears just a little bit. Just a little bit. Russell Westbrook is requested. It is not a Tyron Lue decision. It's a Russell Westbrook decision. Russell Westbrook requested to go to the bench to help the second unit gel. So you will no longer see the Westbrook, Harden, Leonard, and George starting lineup. It looks like you'd assume Bones Highland takes up the Westbrook spot and Harden moves to point guard. Or Terrence Mann. Terrence Mann, maybe, but I would say Bones Highland probably gets that spot just from how he's played this year for for the Clippers, for L.A. But, Cage, I will be honest. If I was Tyron Lue, I would pull Westbrook and James Harden into a room, and I'd say, Rush, you openly have requested to hit the bench, and I appreciate your humility. But, James, you're the new guy, so you're going to the bench. Because he's been here. And we're going to try you coming off the bench. And if that doesn't work, then we'll try something else. Because I'm sorry. Russell Westbrook's humility shouldn't dictate that that James Harden should be the guy coming off the bench. Mm. In my opinion. Westbrook knows the system. Westbrook's been there longer. And you may say that's why you should read the second unit. No, it's not. The reason why he should be on the starting lineup is because he is the longer tenured player. Why are we forcing Russell Westbrook to the bench when he's been starting before James Harden got here? So basically you're switching out Westbrook for James Harden, who in all honesty has played better than James Harden so far this year. So mm-hmm. I I just – I love the humility by Westbrook, and I think he's – even – you know, people may have questioned Russ since he left OKC. I think Russ is re-showing of what kind of player and what kind of teammate he is, which, again, makes me love him even more than I already do because of how just hard he plays the game of basketball, which I love. I think you love, too. Mm. You know, so what do you what do you make of Westbrook openly saying he was going he's willing to go to the bench or requesting to go to the bench to help out the second unit? It shows how slandered he was. By fans in the media during his tenure with either Houston or the Wizards, the Lakers, as if people were blaming him solely for how it didn't work out and um with the Lake Show, but um it just speaks to his humility. It speaks to how much he wants to sacrifice his individual stats for the better of the team. And so something sort of an adjustment process that he had to make um, throughout, like in terms of stat-wise, but he's been a good teammate for his entire career. 
he's also been a, a good teammate for his entire two career, which nobody really talks about. Um, but I'm with you. Westbrook should not be. I appreciate Westbrook's humility, and that he wants to do for do right for the team, but he shouldn't be the one coming off the bench. Because I'm going to be honest, Spence, the Clippers' offense looks a lot better with Westbrook running the show. Like the first, the first unit looks a lot better with Westbrook running the show. There's more pace on that team. Unlike Harden, whose style of play kind of like grinds offenses to a halt. It's effective at times, but I don't know how effective it'll be like with Leonard and George and the with Kawhi and PG in the fold too. Now I know he had a great and and I know he had his best game as a Clipper. Last game against the Rockets in which he hit a four-point play to win that game. But it also can't be ignored that L.A. struggled mightily before getting that first win. And they uh, and it took and it took that and it took a four-point play to beat the Rockets, who are off to a great start, but nobody knows them as world beaters. Because Harden is the more talented player right now, if you had to choose between the both of them. But Westbrook's the better fit in the first unit. But at the same time, Westbrook's been there longer, and the offense has offense has looked more smoother, has looked smoother with him at the helm. So as much as I applaud Westbrook for requesting to come off the bench for the sake of the team, I don't think he should. I think it should be Harden. Nice to see we're in agreement on that, Cage. Um, but again, I will say one more time, echo what both you and I have said, is you got to love Westbrook being humble enough to be a guy that's won an MVP, been, you know, the most triple-doubles in his season, you know, most triple individual triple doubles in his season, average mm-hmm. a triple double, and be able to say, you know what, to help the team win, I will come off the bench. But now moving on to going from the mediocre Clippers to arguably the worst team in basketball right now, the Detroit Pistons have lost 11 games in a row. Yeah, yeah, you heard that right. 11 games in a row they've lost as the Pistons still continue to find the right mix of young guys that they've got. And Cage, we didn't, I didn't think I'll say, but I'll I'll, I'll bump you in with me. We didn't necessarily think the Pistons were going to be great, but I'm not sure we expected them to be this bad again, especially with new head coach Monty Williams in the fold. Mm -hmm. And during that losing streak, they've had games in which they played but just couldn't close out games. That might also have to do with the fact that, one, there's not a lot of spacing on that Pistons team when you got Jalen Duran, Jaden Ivey, who's not really known as much of a shooter, Isaiah Stewart, who's now developing a three-point shot, Oscar Thompson, not being, not known for his offense, Marvin Bagley the third, um, James Wiseman. All those guys have trouble spacing the floor. So for K, for a guy like Cade Cunningham, 
it's going to be hard to be efficient offensively with a team with a team who's spacing as uh, is crunched like that. And it also doesn't help that two of your better shooters in Monte Morris and especially Boyan Bogdanovich aren't playing. That being said, the fact that um Monty Williams was addressing that they're trying to break bad habits and Cade Cunningham also said that the compete level is unacceptable. It's insane. It's insane to think about that because that shouldn't be the case for like a a losing team. You that compete level got to be on a hundred and more. And the fact that that's being questioned is disheartening and discouraging to say the least because i'm gonna be honest spence the raptors have struggled struggled a lot offensively the pistons made them look like world beaters and aside from maybe a stretch of that first quarter i don't really see any effort from detroit seemed like toronto could get whatever they wanted and this is a team that has struggled offensively shooting the ball and turning over the ball. But they had their way with Detroit. So I think this is going to get better before it gets worse. But also, this is going to be a team that's going to go through a lot of growing pains. There's a lot, a lot of these guys have learned bad habits on like in the past. Because case in point, James Wiseman with Golden State and now Detroit. Cunningham being that Pistons team just in general, like learning, like losing bad, like bad habits and like lose, like, like, and being so used to losing. So we, our expectations for Denver should have been tempered for sorry, not Denver. Detroit should have been tempered. And it kind of was fool's gold that they started off two and one. But this team has a lot of growing up to do. And this might be a two-year process before it gets better. I think it's already gotten worse, Cage. Again, 11-game losing streak for the Detroit Pistons, who did lose last night to the Detroit, the Toronto Raptors, pardon me, 142-113. to 113. As you mentioned there, Cage, with making the Raptors' offense look like it was a well-oiled machine, which it has not been just about all year. Mm-hmm. But um, I also want to mention, with how young the, the Pistons are, and you mentioned Cade Cunningham, former first overall pick out of Oklahoma State, um, and he struggled offensively to start off the year. And what's interesting about Kate Cunningham, you talked about how he he was quoted after the game against the Raptors that you know that they've that they've been not very good. They're a young team, but he mentioned, and I think the one biggest thing he echoed in his most recent interview was the compete level. He he continued to say that the compete level is not where it needs to be, and 
Coach Monty Williams, we are the youngest team in the league. Monty Williams can't be, you know, I'll, I'll say begging us, but continuing to harp on compete level. That can't be a thing. And he said myself and Isaiah Stewart are, are you know, trying to be vocal about it. We have to compete every night. And that is a surprise that that would be a concern with a really young team like Detroit. And maybe, Cage, this is where the GM for Detroit, well, I'll be honest, Cage, I don't even know who it is, to be completely, completely frank. Um, Maybe it's time to not necessarily trade everybody, of course, because they're still a very young team, but maybe, maybe start trying to move some pieces around and fight the right connection of all these young guys. Because if you got a 22-year-old who isn't trying or is not giving his full effort, full compete, you might as well find another young guy to, to replace him because you got a, you got 12 young guys. Find, try to find the right pieces. And it obviously it's not going on in Detroit right now. They've lost 11 straight games. And you can't complain about the compete level of guys like Isaiah Stewart, guys like Oster Thompson, the newest draft pick, you know. But maybe some of the other guys that have been here for a couple of years who have those bad habits, you know, maybe it's time to start maybe not moving them along necessarily, but maybe trying to find a different a different mix of young guys. A lot of things could be questioned if you're a basketball player. Effort and compete level should not be one of them. What should not be any of them. For arguably your franchise player to say that about the team says a lot. Says a whole lot and um I admire the passion that's on like guys like Isaiah Stewart and Alter Thompson and Kate Cunningham, but it has to go all across the roster and as an organization. That it does. The Pistons try to break that big long skid tonight against the Detroit uh, against the Denver Nuggets. And again, I will mention we're recording this basically at five o'clock, so I am watching the Maui Invitational. I will mention that game in a moment. I think Cajun is doing the same. Again, Detroit playing the Nuggets tonight, the reigning champs in Detroit as they try to break their losing skid that has felt like the forever because it's basically been their whole season so far. But onto the team that crushed them with the one, the 142 points, the Toronto Raptors set a, set a franchise record 44 assists in the win. They had quite a few players over double digits cage. My count is, that's what, eight, two, four, six, seven guys with double digit points. The leader was Pascal Siakam with 23. And Scotty mm-hmm. Barnes had 17 points, seven rebounds, and nine assists in the win, shooting 63% from the floor, including making three out of his four three point attempts. So, Lots of positives in a game against, again, a very much struggling Pistons team, but you got to beat the team that's in front of you, and they surely did that against Detroit. And I believe yep. that would have been in Toronto. You wouldn't have been there, Cage. So give yep. us the inside scoop from MLSC, Cage. What did you make of the Raptors' big win over Detroit? Well, yeah, beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. They didn't really do that, and they took care of business. Um they took care of business because we all know about the Portland game in which they didn't take care of business and the Washington game in which they came, they had to go on a 21-1 run just to pull that one off. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like 
credit Toronto for finally doing what they were supposed to do and beat a team that they were supposed to beat and beat a, beat a team that they were supposed to beat handily. Um, and then the balance scoring, based off of the ball movement system that um, Darko Rajakovic, head coach of the Toronto Raptors, is trying to implement, there were different threats for Toronto that that went off, like seven guys in double figures. Um, I think that's what not only Ryakovich, but also the Raptors organization sort of envisioned when bringing him along. Um, so even though it was against the Pistons, a franchise record 44 assists, where They've emphasized ball movement, but it hasn't been great to this to a certain degree. Um, but last night showed what happens when they can put it all together, and they dominated. Aside from maybe like a three minutes, like a four or five minute stretch of that first quarter, they dominated. Um, and then about Scotty, he had three threes in that first half. And they didn't has and he didn't hesitate on any one of them. It was literally catch and shoot threes. Got the ball, no hesitation, shot it in one motion. You didn't see that last season from Barnes whatsoever. And his shooting stroke has looked a lot more fluid this season compared to last. There's no hitch. There's no. There's there's nothing deliberate. Honest jump shot now. Um, everything is going up in one fluid motion, and it's not a coincidence that with his lack of hesitation and it, and now his increased aggressiveness on the offensive end that he's having a borderline all. You could argue he could be having a borderline All Star season. Um, now remains to be seen. Can you bring this energy against? teams that are close to you and against contenders too, like the Boston's, the Milwaukee's. Um by the way, I watch that I watch that Boston game. I watch that Boston um Toronto game. The minute I saw Tony Brothers and Lauren Holt come on that uh, on the three ref on two of the three refs that were listed there, I'm like, I knew this was going to be a poorly officiated game regardless. But anywho, um can you that level of play against Detroit, can you step that up against a team like Orlando, Indiana, New York, uh, Brooklyn, someone, a team like, let's say Miami, or Philly? I think consistency is going to be key. I think consistency is going to be super key. And early in the season, and early in the season, new head coach, new system, there's going to be a lot of growing pains. But if this, if it's going to be the same issue, like maybe like 20 to 30 games after, then it's cause for concern. 
But if they somehow figure things out, if they somehow figure things out and games like this against the Pistons are more of the norm, Toronto's going to be a pretty annoying team to play against. Which they've been in the past. That's kind of a staple of the Raptors is not necessarily being the best team, but easily one of the most annoying teams to play against. Pesky on defense and normally good enough on offense to be able to get their defense to win them games. Mm-hmm. Now, one more thing I want to mention with the Raptors before we move on is the continued development of a guy that we gush about, Cage, on this very podcast, on this very show, Malachi Flynn. He only had seven points in the game, but 21 minutes played. He had four assists in the game. He also had two steals, which is showing the defensive acclimate he had at SDSU, San Diego State University, which he played for in college, and may have been a national champion or at least contender if COVID hadn't taken away his senior season. Because if you don't remember, which I wouldn't blame you, they were undefeated. The only undefeated D1 team in the nation were the SDSU. They were number four in the nation before the COVID pause. And that Mm. team looked good. They were going to have a tough team against Baylor, who basically had their full national championship team that won the Natty the year after that year. But still, that SDSU team looked real good. Malachi Flynn was the main component of that team. So to see him finally getting, I'll say, his bearings in the NBA and finally getting a chance to show what he's got is so nice to see as a guy who, again, I was a fan of his when he was playing in college. And it's so nice to see guys you see play at college be able to somewhat put it together at the NBA level. And Malachi has now continued to do that this season. He's getting an opportunity to shine. He's that key word, opportunity. And Kredit Ryakovich, um, he's making Flynn play through his mistakes, something you didn't really see Nick Nurse do. No disrespect to Nick Nurse, but he wasn't known as a guy who prided himself on development. He he didn't develop anybody. Like, let's be honest here. Scotty Barnes regressed in his second year under Nick Nurse. Um, mm-hmm. Malachi Flynn never developed. Uh, who else really hasn't? Precious Achua never really developed under Nick Nurse. Um, you might argue Delano Banton. Delano Banton hasn't developed under, didn't develop, I guess I should say, under Nick Nurse's stewardship. Like, he he didn't really develop anybody as the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. So, you know, he's kind of known for that. That's why he's working out in Philadelphia. There's no development really there. Tyrese Maxey is a great player. Embiid's a former, is a reigning MVP. You know, Tobias Harris is an all-star. You know, he doesn't need to develop these guys. He needs to put them in a situation to win, and that's what he's doing because he is a good coach. He's mm-hmm. not a developing coach. He's not a, he's not a coach of a young team. Like a guy like Darko Ryakovich is kind of showing. And obviously they're not winning every game because they are a young team that is in a transitional period. But he's making them respectable, which is all you can ask for with a team that, didn't, that barely made the playoffs last year and looked like garbage in their playing game against Chicago. Yeah. And... <laughs> it's all you can ask for giving guys giving young guys an opportunity and seeing what they can do with it and malachi flynn is finally getting an opportunity that he never really had in three seasons in like his previous 
seasons as a Raptor. So it kind of makes me bummed out because it's like, if he had gone that opportunity in his first year, how would he look like now? Exactly. How would he look like three years on? Now we're going to move on to the LA Lakers, our last topic of the of the NBA in this show. And now we're not talking about necessarily the Lakers as a team. They're eight and six right now in the West, currently so residing in the sixth uh, sixth spot, meaning they're in right now the last playoff position, just straight playoff position, excluding the play in. We're going to talk about LeBron James, thirty eight year old LeBron James in his twentieth season in the NBA, or is it twenty one? I know it's in the 20s, for sure. Anyway, LeBron is averaging 26 points a game, 8 rebounds a game, 6.5 assists a game, shooting 58% from the field and almost 40% from three. So, Cage, I guess you – I don't really know where you wanted to go with this because you just threw LeBron James versus Father Time. And, you know, I know Father Time is undefeated, except for maybe you could say Tom Brady in the end. But is LeBron James kind of warding off, you know, father time right now? Yeah. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this is that, like, against the Rockets, in which he had another great game, um, that was instrumental in helping them. It it was instrumental in leading the Rockets the Lakers to a 105-104 win over the Rockets uh, on Sunday. Um, Post-game, he had a message about, like, how he constantly reminds himself of why he's still playing. Like, just trying to push the limit, see how far I can take this thing. I mean, it's me versus father time, and... I know they I know him and guys like Dylan Brooks him and Dylan Brooks have a little bit of banter and you might say a little bit of beef but he also says he enjoys that competition saying these young guys they get me going so I need that and it's just like it just amazes you it just amazes you to see I want to say this is 21st season. 21st season in the NBA. And maybe in some ways he slowed down because of his, um, he might slow, he, in father time might show up because of him missing games. But in terms of how he is on the court, He's running over Father Time right now. And I think it's just, this is just, this is turning out to be one of those things in which LeBron's going to decide when he wants to hang it up on his terms, not Father Time. And that's kind of rare to see. That it is. So that will, I will say that's basically the end of the NBA talk. So that's what you're here for. You may bid us a feral adieu, but I would recommend to stay because college basketball is heating up right now. We got some great games in the men's and women's side. We're going to start with the women's ball because for the first time since 2010-11, for the first time in over 250 weeks, the second longest active streak in the top 25 is no more 
in the women's bracket as Maryland fall out after 13 years in the top 25 after losing to UConn not too long ago in a game that I ended up watching the first half of, as I mentioned. So the Terrapins are now unranked. And I expect they probably will get ranked as the year goes on because they do have a semi-good team, a couple really good players. But it's kind of shocking and showing how much the women's game has developed when historic teams like Maryland, even like UConn, are sort of struggling to keep up with Mississippi State, who's had some good success recently. South Carolina, who are now the number one team in the nation, unanimous number one team in the nation in the most recent AP poll that came out yesterday. It's really interesting to see, and again, very encouraging to see, not necessarily because Maryland's falling out, because that means other teams are making their way up in the rankings right now. And it speaks to the growth of how women's basketball has been, where like a powerhouse, a mainstay in the top 25 like Maryland is now unranked. Because you got Mississippi State, you got South Carolina, uh, Notre Dame was good once upon, uh, like with um, Arike Ogungbowale there. Um, UConn still UConn. Iowa. LSU, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, it's just a lot of, there's just more good teams now in the uh, in NCAA women's basketball. It's, there's just a lot of variety because before it was just like UConn and then who's going to be UConn? Which who, which contender can match up against Utah? UConn. Now it's Stanford's just Utah. Been a good team too in the past. Hmm? Stanford's also been a great team in the past. Stanford too. Um, and they and they've been good now with Cameron Brink and Cameron Brink leading the charge too. But there's just a lot. There's just there's just a variety of good teams now. In women's basketball, there's there's a lot more parity, I would say, than previous years. And it's gone to the point where UConn have tried, like, are now fighting to get their way back to the top. Now, for one, they ha- they've had to deal with injuries along the way, so that doesn't really help matters out. But it says a lot. It says a lot about the growth of women's basketball in college and just in women's basketball in general. And might I add, UConn's got a 657 week streak going. So I don't know if that's going to be broken anytime soon. Yeah. As you mentioned, you, uh, Derek cage right now, UConn are the reigning longest active streak in the top 25 of 567 weeks in counting. Number two active right now is now the South Carolina Gamecocks who are 209 straight weeks in the top 25 poll. And again, they're right now the reigning number one team in the nation with unanimous 36 first place votes in the most recent poll. But I went mentioning teams that are rising. The Colorado Buffaloes are number three in the nation with their undefeated start. Their highest ranking since 1995 when they were the second ranked team in the final poll. So for the first time in almost 20 years, actually, wait, math, almost 30 years, the Buffaloes are in the top five, top three even right now in all of college ball. 
which again just shows the growth of the game, especially the women's game. Yep. And you talked about Cajun there about about Cameron Bank, uh, Brink, pardon me, with Stanford. They're right now number four in the nation with Caitlin Clark and Iowa, number five in the nation with their loss to Kansas State, which we talked about because it happened just as we started recording last week on Thursday. Yep. All of that being said, how many players are right now fighting for the best player in the college game? Caitlin Clark, Cameron Brink, Paige Beckers, Angel Reese. Is Haley Van Lith there? I don't really know. But that's mm-hmm. five players off the top of my head that could win the best player in the women's game right now in the NCAA. That's five players. And I bet you I'm missing a lot. A lot. Like, South Carolina's best player. I can't tell who, they, who, who she is right now, but I bet you she's going to have a chance at winning the best player in all the NCAA. Aliyah Edwards mm-hmm. for UConn has been really good, even beside Paige Beckers. Maybe she can fight her way to the best player in the women's game at the end of the year. Player of the year. So there's so many options right now for the best female in the NCAA that, again, it's adding to some great, great games. And then Ayoka Lee, who led the charge um, in Kansas State's um, upset over Iowa. She's up there, too. And I will mention Kansas State jumped as number 16 in the nation after that big win over Iowa. So, again, a lot of risers coming out right now of the women's game. We'll mention earlier today a couple wins for ranked teams. Ohio State beat East Carolina 79-55. And Ole Miss beat Michigan 60-49 with some other Bigger games going on. Number one team in the nation, South Carolina, do play today. But the next big ranked game doesn't come till Thursday when I'm stateside. Maryland plays Washington State. Again, Maryland unranked, so that's going to be a big game for them as they play the ranked Washington State Cougars. And then you've got Tennessee versus Indiana. That should be a big game between two top teams right now in the top 25 polls. And then I'm looking quickly for it, and there it is. On Friday, November 24th, I'll still be I'll be in transit coming back here for a broadcast. You and I got to do together, Cage. UConn number, I believe they're right now, before I mess this up, because I just got re-ranked. I believe they're top five, if not they're six. They go up against the number two team in the nation, UCLA. The Bruins take on the Huskies in what should be a fantastic game in the Cayman Islands. And... If you haven't watched any college ball yet for the women's side, that's the game to watch. On Friday, November 24th, 7.30 sharp, out of the Cayman Islands, the Huskies versus the Bruins. It's going to be a great, great game. But now over to the men's side. And actually, wait, Cage, I tell a lie. Because we didn't even mention the, uh, the LSU problem you talked about. So problems out of the bayou, out of Baton Rouge. Angel Reese wasn't even on the bench for LSU's most recent win. She wasn't even on the bus. Mulkey, Coach Mulkey for LSU spoke before the game, or after the game, pardon me, and said that she's a part of the team, she's on the team, she just wasn't there tonight, and that was really all we got out of her. So not a whole lot on Angel Reese's absence. And to add to the problem, Cage, is there's been some beef between some moms on the team, including Angel Reese's mother and another player. So 
seems like a lot of problems coming out of the reigning NCAA champions that you could argue only got better by by adding probably the best transfer, former Louisville guard, in Haley Van Lith. So I'm not really sure what to make of this LSU Tigers team this year, Kate, with all the turmoil going on down in Baton Rouge. What do you make of it, Cage? It just screams pettiness from back when I was like 18 or 19. NIL, like players making money based off, based off of their likeness, wasn't as big as it is now. Cajun, it didn't exist. Like, I will make sure I state that. The image and likeness the NCAA added was, I think, three years ago when California um, put it through or, legislation. It, it, wasn't, but it wasn't, but they were like attempts to. Well, okay. There were circumvents, and there were definitely op- definitely moments where boosters and other organizations, if that was brands and or agents, were paying athletes. That that unequivocally happened. We have proof of it in football and every, every other sport. But it wasn't legal. Now it's legal. That's why the parody in lots of other sports was happening, because now you, you don't have to just go to eight or ten schools to get that type of money because you're winning, playing on great teams. Now you can get paid playing for anybody. So why not go to your hometown school or go to the school you actually want to go to academically or whatever? You're not forced to have to go to Alabama or Clemson or Florida State or Ohio State or Michigan, for example. Now you can play at – I'm trying to think of a big team right now that's playing really well that's not necessarily good. Like Kansas. Kansas is playing great right now. The Jayhawks, again, normally a basketball school, reigning NCAA champions. Right, like it's not. Or pardon me, reigning champs two years ago. They they didn't win last year. Last year was UConn. The year before was Kansas. So I do mm-hmm. tell a little bit of a lie. But anyway, you know. So it, that also does add a wrinkle that you know a lot of these girls are getting paid and getting paid handsomely, might I add, which they deserve it. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what what I am saying is with that. There is an ego that comes with that. There just naturally and is. Okay? And, that's ex- and you took the words right out of my mouth, Spencer. Angel Reese has an example. Angel Reese is a prime example of it. Um, obviously, getting into it with Caitlin Clark, which turned out to be a whole bunch of nothing that the media just kind of like overblew. Caught and ran with, Cage. They caught that football and they ran the length of the field with that one. And sort of exposed a double standard there in the process. But she was nicknamed the Bayou Barbie for for a reason. Like she had so many deals. She appeared in a music video from Car like by Cardi B. She got famous real quick. Let's just put it that way. She got famous real quick. And but you also have to remember why you got why that fame came in the first place. Now, this isn't speculating on what is going on because none of us have a clue of what's going on with Angel Reese. Um, and I'm glad she's kind of staying quiet. I like, and I'm glad like we haven't heard a peep out of her. Because not everything, not everything, like, some things just don't need to be said. 
and maybe there's some personal stuff that she's doing, and maybe there's something that she's dealing with behind the scenes, and she's handling it on her own. She's handling it privately behind behind closed doors. But it's just the people around her, like mom, like mom's sort sort of starting beef. Kim Mulkey saying a whole bunch of nothing. Players just sounding off on it. Like, and it's just based off of the team, too. Like, you're the reigning national champions. You don't need, like, uh, like on top of struggling against Colorado and, like, getting your teeth kicked in by the Buffaloes, um, you don't, like, you're trying to, like, you're trying to go, or you're trying to repeat and go back-to-back. The last thing you need is off-the-court stuff. So I'm just hoping this kind of dies down and they can focus on ba- and they can focus on basketball. And I'm all for NIL and for and for media coverage too. But with that, you gotta back up your play. And this was before all of this. Ha- this was before Andrew Reese wasn't with the team. There's a lot of pressure for Reese to. Continue to play well. Continue to play well and um and also like kind of diversify her game too because Reese is not known for being much of a jump shooter. And sure, like she dominated in, in, in the in in like the NCAA tournament. But in order to continue to be successful. Yeah, so show some semblance of a jumper, or like threaten threaten defenses with a jumper in order to not be as one dimensional when going to the WNBA. So there's a ton of pressure for her to make good on on the fame that's coming with her name. Not only with that, but to also help LSU and for and for LSU to go back to back because right now they're being talked about, but for all the wrong reasons. That they are the reigning national champs of the women's pool. Now moving on to the men's side of the NCAA, the Maui Invitational. Openly, my favorite pre or my favorite in-season tournament in the NCAA. Right next to the Battle of Atlantis, but it, it does edge out the battle for Atlantis. Does the Maui Invitational right now? As we're talking, the Gonzaga Bulldogs are playing the Purdue Boilermakers. Gonzaga up. I won't say a score till we get to halftime in about two minutes of game time. But everyone knows, I think I've kind of made it openly clear, but if I haven't, I will say it, that I am a massive fan of Coach Mark Few and the Gonzaga Bulldogs. I love what Coach Few has done with a school that does not have really any other major sport teams other than basketball. And they become a basketball armada out of Spokane, Washington. Mm-hmm. Sadly, he's never gotten a national championship. He's gotten to a couple, but hasn't gotten that ring. And I'm real hoping Coach Few gets one of those soon with the Bulldogs because he's had some great teams. just hasn't been able to find the right mix, if you will. But he got a couple Canadians in this game, Cage. You got Ryan Nemhard out of Aurora for the Bulldogs. You've got Zach Eady, of course, senior for Purdue. I should say Nemhard's also a senior, transferred out of Crichton this year. Little brother of Andrew Nemhart, former Bulldog, 
who transferred from Florida to Gonzaga. And then, obviously, now with Indiana, is playing really well with the Indiana Pacers, might I add. But Ryan Nemhard now yep. with the Bulldogs. Zach Eady, of course, senior out of Toronto. He plays for the Boilermakers and played again at the World Cup, as we as we covered. Didn't play a whole heck of a lot, did the 7-4 Zach Eady, but still he was there. And it's a big game between the number 11 Bulldogs and the number 2 Boilermakers. And... One thing I want to mention, Cage, because, again, I don't want to talk about the game until we get to halftime, is these two head coaches. Mark Few, 24 seasons with the Bulldogs as the head coach. He was an assistant before that. Coach Matt Painter for Purdue, 19th season with the Boilermakers. He played for Purdue from 1989 to 1993, and now has been the head coach for 19 seasons. you got some very tenured head coaches, and, of course, Gonzaga's been the absolute armada in the WCC, the Western, the West Coast Conference, which is like nothing conference other than the Bulldogs. No offense to the other programs like Pepperdine and etc. in that division. But Coach Painter's won five Big Ten championships, and you think, well, five's not a whole lot in 19 seasons. It is when you think he's got Tom Izzo at a Michigan State. He had to deal with Coach B. Coach John Beeline, and now Jawan Howard with Michigan. Coach Greg Gard with Wisconsin for the last eight seasons or so. Those are some mm-hmm. really good head coaches. And Matt Painter's proved that he's also a really good one with some really good teams when he made a Final Four appearance with Carson Edwards and um, Klein. I can't remember Klein's first name, but two really good players with his last iteration with uh, Jade Nivey and uh, Zach Eady coming uh coming off the bench technically as the freshman. And then you had uh, Travion Williams as well, who's a top like 15 player in the NCAA preseason wise for my some publications. Like he's had some really good teams out of Purdue and you know, he's made them even better recently again with senior Zach Eady. And to mention uh, returning also is Fletcher lawyer, who I'm a big fan of. And right now averaging eight assists is um, before I mess up his name, Braden, Braden Smith, who again, really good player for the Boilermakers. So, Cage, I guess with all of this said, you know, it's a great coaching matchup, which is why I love college ball and openly gush about college ball is the coaching matchups you get like this between two guys that have had success at both programs in Coach Few and Coach Painter. In spite of his accomplishments, there's always going to be that fact that Mark Few has won a national title and that's going to hang over his head. And people really won't get off his back until he wins one. As for Matt Painter, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Spence, but they haven't made the Final Four in his tenure there. Not that I know of. I believe their closest run as a head coach of the Purdue Boilermakers would have been, I want to say with Ivy, I think that was only the Sweet 16 he got to, I believe. Let me quickly check. Yeah, I believe it would have been the Sweet 16 he would have gotten to two years ago because last year they were the one seed that went out in the, the round of 64. They did not make it out of the um, first round of the NCAA tournament. He's actually been to the Sweet 16 as the head coach of the Boilermakers one, two, three, four, five times in his career. And I do tell a lie because I said Final Four. I meant Elite Eight with Carson Edwards and the Purdue Boilermakers was his Longest run as the head coach of Purdue. 
And I'm just going to see if I can find Klein because I actually, ironically, Gage, that was the first year, I believe, of Travion Williams, who I just mentioned, because mm-hmm. of how good Travion Williams became as a player for the Boilermakers. And I don't even see him. There he is, Ryan Klein, senior, and Carson Edwards, who was a junior, who I believe declared after his junior season. And that team was really good, Gage. That team was really good, were the Boilermakers. They ran Zoom, which if you don't know what Zoom is, I'll quickly explain. Zoom is a very, very common offense you see, a very common set you see in an offense. And Purdue and coach Matt Painter exclusively used it, like almost exclusively used and had their obviously their plays off of Zoom, where basically what happens is a guard takes a double screen as they catch the ball, normally coming from the baseline up towards the top of the key, and they get a staggered screen to get open. And you can run it anywhere on the floor. It basically is just a double staggered screen for a running guard to catch and shoot. And Edwards and Klein made contested shot after contested shot out of that set early and often for those Elite Eight Purdue Boilermakers. And if I'm not mistaken, Cage, which I'm going to quickly check to make sure I am not mistaken, it was the Virginia Tech Cavaliers who won the national championship with coach Tony Bennett, his first national championship, might I add, the year after they lost for the first time ever in the first round that a number one seed to a number 16 seed was that Virginia team the year before. With a lot of returning guys, they ended up winning the national championship. As I quickly run to check. Uh, yeah, Virginia beat Purdue in the Elite Eight, 80-75. Did the number one seeded Cavaliers beat the Boilermakers? And Carson Edwards, Cage, in that game, in the overtime game between Virginia and the Boilermakers, Carson Edwards had 42 points. Mm-hmm. Imagine scoring 42 points and not being able to get the win. My goodness. And guess what, Cage? The South, the South Region All Tournament team, so of the fir- from the round first round to the Elite Eight. First, I believe that's four games for everybody. The all-tournament team was Carson Edwards, Ryan Klein of Purdue, Kyle Guy, who I love, by the way, coming out of Virginia, Ty Jerome out of Virginia, and Mamadi Diakite out of Virginia. So they had all four or all five starters, too, from those final two teams. And yeah, I know that's obviously common because they played the most games and whatever, but still, you know, it's rather impressive, rather impressive. To have, you know, those three, those five guys who obviously were the five best players for those two teams. And again, I love Kyle Guy out of Virginia. It sucks he never translated the NBA because of how good his shooting was for Virginia. But again, he was so good for those Cavaliers in that national championship run. He really was. Um, I think DeAndre Hunter was on that team, too. Yes, he was, and that was also Jared Culvert when he went sixth overall to the Timberwolves was on the runner-up Texas Tech uh, Red Raiders who got to their first Final Four and first title game against uh, against Virginia who went to their first title game as well, their third Final Four, but they were able to win. And guess what, Cage? Another first. The only team that didn't have a first was obviously Michigan State who lost, I believe Texas Tech. Auburn who was another semifinalist, they went to their first Final Four. So a lot of firsts in the 2019 season. 
And I should mention Kyle Guy, again, the kid I loved coming out of Virginia. He won most most outstanding player of the Final Four. Mm-hmm. So, again, just a big reason why I love Kyle Guy. And I did, I'll be honest, I watched my first ever national championship was the Cavaliers versus the Red Raiders. And it was a great game, Cage. It was a great game. Two completely different defenses. Cavaliers was Coach Tony Bennett's. Uh, pack line defense, which was popularized and I believe created by his dad. And then the Red Raiders being coached by um, Coach Beard. And obviously he's had some turmoil recently, but before that was a great coach. And he popularized the no middle defense, which I love and I would love to run one day as a coach. But regardless, was a great game. And I will always remember that being my first NCAA championship game because I loved both teams. I loved both defense, loved both styles, and it was just a great game to watch. I know it's a little bit of a tangent on a game that was not going on, so now I will move on to the game that, that just went to halftime between the Bulldogs and Purdue. 35-30 in favor of the Bulldogs right now. Zach Eady, who had a kind of rough start to the game, he's got half of Purdue's points. He's got 15 points, also three blocks, should mention. He is still shooting pretty rough, though. Four for 11 from the field is the 7-4 center. So that's about 36% from the field. He is shooting, though, 7 for 8 from the free throw line, which is kind of adding to his value. He's only got three rebounds as well, but again, three blocks for the big man who played 17 minutes of the 20-minute half for the Canadian center. And I'm kind of looking at this right now because Gonzaga went off to an impressive start to start things off. Their largest lead was nine. Purdue's largest lead was six. Um, and that was yeah. six nothing, might I add. That was that was six nothing, Cage. It was six nothing because Gonzaga missed their first, I think, three threes, and then they started hitting their threes and they pulled away. Because like I was kind of alternating be- between articles and that game. I think it was like 14-6 at one point. They went on a 14 0 run. Just about, yeah, just about. Um so yeah, like um it, it's really underrated. Like you mentioned seven of eight from the free throw line. A big that's seven foot four that can hit free throws that has good touch like him and can hit free throws at a good enough clip. Is so underrated. I should mention, Cage, as you say that, Zach Eady, I just want to check his so far season. Only in three games, might I add, this is his fourth game. He's shooting 80% from the free throw line right now. Hasn't attempted a three, but 80% from the free throw line shows you his stroke's pretty good. So maybe one day, not soon maybe, but one day maybe he can improve that three-point you know, that three-point shot. Because normally when you got a good jumper, when you got good free throw percentage, that means your jumper's pretty clean. Yep. And I'm surprised that like, he hasn't really dabbled in it like at least once this season. Cause like kind of opens up like the inside game for you. Kind of kind of opens up the inside game for me if you keep him honest from behind the arc. Then again, you're also seven foot four and you can just like lay it up over like tall man. So there's that. Um, but struggling a little bit from the field, but. Making up for it from the free throw line. Um, but it remains to be seen because Tennessee and actually I think this game ended. It just Tennessee, yeah, it beats, Tennessee beats Syracuse 73 to 56. So the winner of this game is gonna play Tennessee. 
Um, it's a big game because they're right now seven in the na- they're they're right now top ten in the nation as well. Mm. And the loser of this game drops down to the consolation bracket. I also will mention here, Cage, that Edie played 17 of the 20 minutes. Braden Smith, who I mentioned, has eight points, perfect from the field, only has one assist. He also does have two steals to Smith. He played 18 minutes of the 20-minute half. And then over on the Gonzaga side, Cage, uh, returning starter Nolan Hickman and newcomer Ryan Nemhard both played the full 20. Both had seven points. Nemhard had four assists, though, in the half. And both, again, ironically, shot three for seven from the field. Both both one made one three. Hickman shot three from uh, behind the arc, only making one. Ryan, Nem- Ryan Nemhard shot four from behind the arc, only making one. So eerily similar, similar stats for those two starting guards. But the guy that's made the most impressive impactful presence, even though he's got two fouls right now, so he's going to have to be careful, is Graham Ike, the 6'9 forward, who you'd say 6'9 forward. You'd think Zach Eady can dominate him. Ike's been the guy guarding him a lot tonight, and he's done a pretty darn good job defending the big guy. He's right now averaging 18 in a game, and he's already got 10 leading the way for the Bulldogs. But what's impressing me about Ike's game cage is he's 4 for 5 tonight from the from, – um, for the game, 80%. He's two for three from the behind the arc, which is 66% cage. And on mm-hmm. the year, in his um, season, do you want to guess what he's shooting from inside the arc and then from three? So he's making, he's averaging 18 points a game in only two games, but he's averaging 18 points a game cage. What do you think his field goal percentage and his three point percentage are right now as a 6 9 forward? Well, I kind of spoiled it for myself looking at it, but damn. He's shooting 83% from inside the arc, and he hasn't missed a three yet this year. His first miss was in this game. Before tonight, he was perfect from the three from the three-point line. So he looks like a great player for the Bulldogs. And I'm not sure, and I'm gonna quickly gonna check this actually, if he may be a freshman or not. But regardless, he is looking mighty good right now for the Gonzaga Bulldogs as a big who are right now, again, really needing a presence after losing guys like Chet Holmgren, like Andrew or uh, like uh, Drew Timmy and et cetera. Mm. Well, it also kind of helped. It, it did help that like the game, the game that they did play was against Eastern Oregon and he went 11 for 12 from the field. So that helps. Hey, it definitely does. And again, only two games. So, you know, those percentages will most likely go down, but still shooting 80% right now in tonight's game for Gonzaga is mighty impressive. He's a transfer from Wyoming. He is a junior, is I. He averaged 19 points a game, 19 and a half points per game, and almost 10 rebounds for Wyoming, the Cowboys, in his sophomore season. Now, again, with Gonzaga, he only shot case, and listen to this. You know, he's shooting really well from behind the arc this year, mm. making two of three tonight, made two of two in his last game. He only attempted .3 threes in 33 games in his sophomore year for Wyoming. He only made .1, which was a percentage of 27%. So he's exponentially improved his three-point game going into this season. So .3 threes per game over 33 games? In 33 games. 
So he attempted 11 threes. He made three. So he's made more that threes. Would be true. He, he's made more threes this season than he uh, in like three games than he had all of that, uh, all of that season. All of his career, Cage, he only attempted one in his freshman year and didn't make it. So he is technically three for 12 within his career from behind the arc in West Wyoming. He's already above that as he is, what, four for five from behind the arc for the Bulldogs? Yep. yep. So, and more again, exponential growth for Ike. Mm-hmm. It also, it also it also helps when you're playing for a good team like Gonzaga, too. What what doesn't help when you're playing for one of the best coaches in the world, Mark Few? Before we go, Cage, because I think we're just about out of time, but before we run away, we will do two things. First, we're, I'm going to ask you, Cage, who do you think pulls out the win? Do you think Purdue makes up the five points and beats the Bulldogs, or do you think the number 11 Bulldogs upset the Boilermakers and come up with a big win to start their year? Only Again, only their third game of the year. Gonzaga's had some dominant games this season. And Purdue's also played, I believe they played their 3-0, but all three of their games have been at home. So this is kind of like a different test for both teams. Um, kind of concerning, that, like if you're Gonzaga, you've limited, limited Zach Eady to 4 of 11 shooting from the field. But he's also 7 of 8 from the free throw line, and you're only up by 5. Um, but, but... And the last time they did, and last time these two teams played, um, Purdue beat them a eighteen. But I got the Zags. I think they'll figure out a way to pull this one off, even with the threat of Zach Eady. I think Ike will continue to keep with with the fact that he's th- two for three from me from behind the arc now. I think his shooting will keep Zach Eady honest and force him to guard around the perimeter. And I think the one big thing is he's only got three rebounds. Uh, Gonzaga's crashed the offensive glass the glass on numerous occasions. Um, I think Mark Few um, and his troops um, figure things out and. I think this is. I think it's going to be somewhat like a five, five, six point win, but I think Gonzaga pulls it out in the end. I agree with you. Again, I am a Zags fan, so I will will admit a little bit of bias here, but I will say the Zags, and here's why: I love Purdue. I love Zach Eady. I like Braden Smith. I like their team. I like Lawyer. I mentioned, but Gonzaga's got too many good players, man. Like it, even if you think like this team's kind of weak, comparatively speaking, some of his past teams, which maybe it is without Jalen Suggs, obviously without Corey Kispert, without. Right, uh, without Andrew Nemhard, without Drew Timmy, without Etchad Holmgren of recent teams, right? Some great players, NBA talent, lots yep. of NBA talent in there. But, you know, Graham Ikes look really good this year. Um, Obviously, Hickman and Nemhard are both veteran guards. And I think Ryan Nemhard, with a little bit of a break, will have a great second half. But the big guy I think is waiting to go off is uh, off the bench right now is, is Braden Huff. Braden Huff, a younger brother of, I can't remember his first name, but another Huff who played for Gonzaga as a really good forward for them, might I add. Actually, I believe that, or actually I might be lying in saying he played for um, the, oh goodness, for the Cavaliers under Coach Tony Bennett. Because again, I'm a big fan of Coach Bennett as well. 
But to continue my point, in two games, Cage, in only 34 minutes of play, 20 in game one against Yale, 14 against Eastern Oregon, he has 23 points against Eastern Oregon in 14 minutes of play and 19 points against Yale in 20 minutes of play, shooting quickly 75% from the field and 60% from three, averaging 21 points technically between those two games. And he's a freshman. So Hop looking really good, and he's only got four points tonight, one of three shooting. So you got to think Huff's going to have a, a better second half, which coming off the bench, if Ike's shooting well and Huff can figure it out, how are you going to stop those two big guys, even with Zach Eady? You really can't. Uh, that's kind of like the um, that's kind of the scary part if you're if you're Purdue if Edie sort of gets contained a little bit. There's a lot more threats on Gonzaga than there is Purdue. And I think at the end of the day, even though Edie's the more the Edie's the bigger threat out of both teams. If they somehow contain if they somehow contain him just enough, I think that'll be enough to get a W. I have to agree with that. And actually, ironically, we'll say it was Jay Hall I was thinking of who did play for Virginia, not Gonzaga. It doesn't look like they're actually related, the Huffs. So they just do have the same last name, just not related. And ironically, again, both big men. Both last same last name, but they do not seem to be related. At least they're not brothers for sure, as they're from well different places. Jay Huff was coming out of North Carolina, while Huff comes out of Illinois. So, anyway, as Gonzaga and Purdue now start their second half, as we'll see if our predictions do end up ringing true with Gonzaga pulling out the win. One more thing before we go tonight again: Connecticut versus Texas, the UConn Huskies, reigning NCAA champions, number. I believe Celso says five in the nation, but I know that is a lie. They've moved up. But number uh, UConn take on Texas in a big ranked-on-ranked game. UConn actually did stay five in the most recent AP poll, so that wasn't a lie. But Texas did move up to 15, so five versus 15 tonight in a big game between Texas and, again, the reigning U champions, the Huskies. Cage, who do you got between UConn and University of Texas tonight at 7 p.m.? Well, that's going to be a big battle there between two both both of those teams. Um, and they're both four and zero. I gotta say, um, I gotta say, um, even though they lost. Five of their top eight scores from last season. Um, they had a pretty big statement win beating Indiana by 20. Um, Dan Hurley and his squad. Um, I think they pull. I I think they. I think it. I think UConn continues their tear right now and um shows shows everyone why they're why they should be a trendy pick to repeat as national champions. I got UConn. Now, 
you said it right there, Cage, and I want to echo it, that UConn lost a lot of talent from last year's national championship team. And Texas last year was a great team, and they went through some big turmoil with Coach, uh, I believe it was Chris Beard. Um, I know it's Coach Beard for sure. I just can't remember his first name off the top of my head. He ended up having to leave the program because he got arrested for, I believe, a domestic violence dispute. Um, he is now the head coach of Old Miss, I believe, who are also ranked, ironically. But regardless, Texas went through a lot of turmoil last year, and right now they're under first-year head coach Rodney uh, Rodney Terry, pardon me, who was the interim head coach last year, was brought in from uh, – was uh, an assistant the year before and then became the interim head coach of Texas. Now he is the full-time head coach of the Longhorns. And he ended up leading into an Elite Eight appearance last year, did Coach uh, Terry. They've got some returning guys like uh, Terry's, uh, Tyrese Hunter, former Iowa Cyclone and really good player. He also got transfer Max Abe Smith from Oral Roberts, who is absolutely fantastic, might I add, is Max Abe Smith, as well as I believe it would be Dylan Mitchell, who they had as a top recruit. So that's a couple big returnees, and I got the upset. Give me Rodney Taylor and the Longhorns upsetting the reigning champs, UConn, and getting their first statement win of the season. And I will mention that's at MSG in New York. So a big win for Texas and MSG. And one more prediction, Cage. We're going to do this one real quick. UCLA unranked versus Marquette, number four in the nation. That is the last game of the Maui Invitational for the day. Both teams are 3-0. and And even though UCLA is unranked, they are consistently a top-tier program, and especially under Mick Cronin, their current head coach. And it should be a great game, even though Marquette is number four in the nation with Coach Shaka Smart. Bless you, by the way. Thank you. So who do you got tonight between LSU and Marquette to end the Maui Invitational tonight? You know what? Based off of the fact that they're a blue blood, a blue blood, and I want a shock factor to happen. Give me UCLA. Give me you. Give me UCLA. They've been there, done that. Aiden Bona has had a great start to this season. Um, is that a big jump? Might I add? Uh, his scoring going up by over 10 points per game. Um, I think UCLA um, makes a statement and shock, shock of smart and Marquette. Now, Cage, I don't disagree with you because I like Coach Cronin. I love the Bruins. They've been a really good team the past couple of years. I'm surprised they're not ranked. I think even if they lose this game, they'll probably find their way into the AP pool at some point this year. Will the Bruins in the Pac-12? But, and I, I'll be honest, not a big fan of Shaka Smart. Didn't like him when he was at Texas. I'm not sure he's really performed well at his alma mater in Marquette. I believe I believe it is his alma mater in Marquette. So I will quickly check that before I run away to make sure I correct myself if I happen to be wrong. As I quickly run to the great Shaka Smart. And yes, that is his name, is Shaka. And no, he did not play for Marquette. But I remember there being a story about him going to Marquette over Texas. He he coached there for a while. But I will take Shaka Smart's men in Marquette Golden Eagles. And I, again, not a big fan of Shaka Smart. So I, you know, it's kind of a feeling of just 
I like Marquette's team. I feel like they're kind of a team that maybe get may get underrated with the top tier teams in the NCAA this year in the men's side. But I just got a feeling about this Golden Golden Eagles team, and I love UCLA. I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be a good game. But give me Marquette at 11:30 tonight to pull off the big win over UCLA, a team that again I think will show themselves as a great win for Marquette early in the year. But with all of that said, as the Gonzaga Bulldogs and Purdue Boilermakers play real close here in the start of the second half, we will run away. For Cajun Theroux, Fanny Castle, I'm Spencer Byers. Thank you so much for tuning in to today, today's Monday edition of Polar Opposites here on The Outraging.